Uh, tonight, we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, last week, we, we gave you this outline. If you don't have your copy, if it somehow got raptured, uh, there's some copies over here, limited amount uh, over here, and you can pick up a copy. We basically did the front side of the note sheet last week, and tonight, if you flip it over where you can see the map, and that's where we're going to pick up uh, this evening. I want to basically just give you an overview of the map because it will really give you an overview of the book. First of all, just take your Bibles and open to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Just have it ready. As we get ready to study, would you join me in prayer as we just ask for the Lord to teach us. Father, we pause tonight again because... evident that tonight we're going to be opening your word and we are in need of your Holy Spirit. We pray, God, just for your spirit to teach us, to guide us, to help us, give us understanding. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we look at the word tonight, that the text would come alive, that we would see the story of Jesus, that we would marvel at our Savior. And Lord, that you would give us a deeper walk with you because of this time. But once again, Lord, we pray, we ask for the Spirit to be our teacher, for the Holy Spirit to be our guide, for you to show us things that is, that is beyond our human reasoning, but that you would speak to our spirit through your word. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. As we showed you last week in that video, you can basically divide the entire book of Mark into three sections. Look on your notes there. There's three key areas that really divide the book. Uh, right there beside the, the map, it says three key areas really are the three different sections of this book. First of all, the chapters 1 through 9 deal with the time that Jesus spent in Galilee. If you'll look on your map, you can see Galilee there in the block. In fact, let me just do this. Chapters, chapters 1 through 9 Jesus spent most of his time right in this area, chapters 1, 1 through 9. He spent almost his entire time. So that's the first section uh, of the book. And then in chapter 10, we read about this journey that Jesus took from Galilee, that he took from Capernaum and, and Galilee, and he went down, it says, into Judea and on the other side of the Jordan, so Perea. Uh, so he's in this area and this area. He, he came down this way. And so that's chapter 10. So chapters 1 through 9, all up here in the northern part of Galilee. Chapter 10, traveling down this way. And then chapters 11 through 16, Jesus is here in Jerusalem. And so that really is his final week in Jerusalem. Uh, chapters 11 through 16, right here, he spends, John takes all of those chapters, 11 through 16, to talk to us about the final week of Jesus. Uh, in Jerusalem. So let's look at the text, and I want, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have your Bible in one hand. I want you to have your map in the other, and, and I'll try to also remember to point out things on the map, on the overhead. But, but I just want to go through kind of some references, some geographical references, and give you uh, an overview of the book in that way. Chapter 1, verse 14. Again, just looking at geographical references. Chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. And so again, one, one more time. Galilee is here. I don't have my glasses on. That's pretty bad. Hang on a second. So Jesus grew up in Nazareth right here. And he went into Galilee preaching. All right? So keep that in mind. Now, look in verse 34. Mark chapter 1, verse 34. Um, I'm sorry, verse 39. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So he's spending a good deal of his time already just traveling throughout the region of Galilee. Go to chapter 7, verse 24. Chapter 7, verse 24. 
It says, Jesus left that place and went to the, to the vicinity of Tyre. Now, if you'll see Tyre up in the northern part right there, he left this area of Galilee around the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee. He left this area and he went north to the area of Tyre. And, and then it says, he entered into a house, did not want anyone to know, to know it yet, yet he, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syria, Phoenicia. See up here at the very top, Syria, Phoenicia. She was born in this area, and this lady came down to Tyre to say, I've got this sick daughter. So the reason I'm pointing all of that out to you is that I want you to see that his ministry, again, is confined to this area, and then later in chapter 7, his ministry is going north, even outside what we would call uh, the boundaries of Galilee. He's going to the Gentiles in this area right here. Uh, when we go back to chapter 7, verse 31, he goes to another area. Uh, chapter 7, verse 31 uh, Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and he went through Sidon, which is north of there. And then it says, and he went down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the what? The Capolis. So he went from Tyre to Sidon, went down into the area of Decapolis. On the other side of the Jordan River, Decapolis means ten cities, and there were ten Gentile cities scattered around this area. So Jesus even went into this area, into Gentile territory, pagan territory, as he preached the gospel. Uh, chapter 8, verse 22, it says that they went to where? Chapter 8, verse 22, he went where? Bethsaida, right here, on the north uh, eastern part of the Sea of Galilee. And then it says in chapter uh, 8, verse 27, where did he go? He, he went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. I love Caesarea Philippi, this area right here. Again, this is the Sea of Galilee, so we're still talking about north, area, north of that, Sea of Galilee. And then uh, chapter, what verse was that? That was verse what, 27? Go to chapter 9, verse 2. Six days, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them on a high mountain where they were all alone. Now look up here on the map. They were in Caesarea Philippi in chapter 8. Chapter 9, they go to a high mountain. Probably it was Mount Hermon, that mountain right there where they had the, the, uh, the transfiguration. But again, my main point is just to help you to see that Jesus is spending his entire time in this area. And when you go to chapter 9, verse 33, where does he go back to? Chapter 9, verse 33. Capernaum. Where's Capernaum? Get my glasses so I can sit. Capernaum is right here. Now, Nazareth was his hometown. Here's Nazareth. That was his hometown. But Capernaum, during his ministry, during his Galilean ministry, look up here, during his Galilean ministry, Capernaum was his base of operation. Capernaum was the place that he considered home during his ministry. Now, I got a couple of pictures of Capernaum, and then we'll, we'll move on. I just wanted to show you some of these things. Uh, this is Cap Capernaum, an aerial view of Capernaum. It's one of my favorite places to go. Uh, when we go there, we park over in this area and walk down and come and enter the city or the village right here. Uh, and this is only about a third of Capernaum. There's, there's two-thirds that have not been excavated. Uh, but this third of Capernaum have been excavated. And one, one of the reasons I wanted you to see this is because I wanted you to get the visual image that Capernaum was right on the Sea of Galilee. It's right on the shore. And one of the things that has helped me as I've read through the book of Mark so far, one of the things I've noted is how many times Jesus was on the lake, by the lake, near the lake, walking around the lake. He spent a lot of time on, near, around the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, just interesting to me that, that he had such a, an interest. Uh, he really enjoyed, it seems, his time around the lake. And so his base of operation the place where he considered home, not his, the home where he grew up, but while he was in Galilee, the place that he considered his home was right here in this little town, right on the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. 
Now, Capernaum today is, uh, of course, just the remnants, the ruins of that city, but there's two things of very big significance there today. One is this right here. This is the synagogue. The synagogue actually still is, uh, you'll see the remnants of it, and this synagogue is the same location as the synagogue in the days of Jesus. Let me show you another picture. That's what you see when you go to Capernaum today. And these are, this is from the 5th century. This synagogue was built in the 5th century. But the interesting thing about the synagogue is that it was built on the foundation stones of the original synagogue in the days of Jesus. And so when it says in, in uh, Mark chapter 1 that Jesus went to Capernaum and he went to the synagogue, this is where he went. Again, this is the 5th century synagogue, the ruins of the 5th century synagogue, but this one was built on the foundation stones of the original synagogue. Let me show you this next picture. Uh, here's a side view, and you can see these are the, the ruins from the days of Jesus, and that synagogue was built on those, it's hard to see in this picture, but it was built on those gray stones. And, and so when you talk about you're going to the synagogue in Capernaum, you know exactly where that is. Because the ruins still exist today. And it also says in, chapter, in Mark chapter 1, it talks about, just of interest, it talks about that he left the synagogue and he went to the home of Peter. Uh, look in chapter 1 of Mark, verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, and he took her hand and helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick, demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he drove out many demons who would not... Uh, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So as soon as they left the synagogue, they went to the home of Simon and Andrew. And, and go back, right, yeah, that's a, the picture I wanted. You see this round, looks like a spaceship? That's a, a church that's been built over the home of Simon Peter. So basically, here's what happened. Uh, the ruins of Simon Peter's house was, was there in the 5th century, they built an octagonal, uh, octagon church over, Byzantine octagon church, around the house of Simon Peter to preserve it, and it was a place of worship. And then later, in more modern times, they built this church over the, uh, both buildings. Does that make sense? Over the house of Simon Peter and the church that was built around it, then they built this. The cool thing about this building is that it has a glass floor. You can go in and look down into the house of Simon Peter. Now, I wanted to show you this just to show you the close proximity between the synagogue and Simon Peter's house and the close proximity of both of those to the Sea of Galilee. How, how closely related they all were. That will help you when you're reading through Mark here uh, in just a few minutes. All right, so if you go back to the map, please. Chapters 1 through 9, we're talking about Jesus ministering in Galilee, in the Decapolis, this area. Chapter 10, verse 1, look in chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus left that place and he went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And so here we have a reference that he's leaving this area of Galilee and he's going down to this area of Judea and he goes across the Jordan in the area of Perea. So in chapter 10, we have that, that reference of his travel, his journey toward Jerusalem. We go to chapter 10, verse 32. Chapter 10, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while, they followed, while those who followed were afraid. And he took them aside, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen. So now it says that after they were in this area, they're going up to Jerusalem. And then in chapters 11 through 16, it, uh, you see that Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem uh, for those final chapters of the book. So that's just an over, a map overview of what you're reading in the book of Mark Galilean ministry, chapters 1 through 9, chapter 10, traveling to Jerusalem, chapter 11 through 16, the final week in Jerusalem. All right, any questions so far?
Oh, yeah. Um, I got to search my memory banks. Galilee to Jerusalem. The, the entire nation is not that, is not that far. Um, hang on a minute, Ed. Um, thinking the entire nation is 170 miles. From tip to tip. 79. I knew there was a 70 in there. Oh, between the two? All right. 79 miles? All right. So there we go. Yeah. Very good. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And... Not that house, but that same area, Capernaum. So many things happened in Capernaum where Jairus, uh, Jairus the synagogue ruler, where his daughter uh, needed Jesus to heal her. There's so many things connected to Capernaum. And that's one of the reasons I want to take just a moment and show you a picture and try to give you a visual of that city, that village there beside the Sea of Galilee. All right, so that's just the map overview uh, of the book as a whole. And now, here's what I, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about what to look for as you read through the book of Mark. It, these are on your notes. I've got four things that I'm going to suggest that you be looking for as you read through the book of Mark. First of all, number one, as you read through the book of Mark, Jesus is presented as the undeniable Son of God. Jesus is presented as the undeniable Son of God. Uh, that's how the book opens. That's how the, how the book opens, and that's what you see in the first chapter. Look in chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. Finish the sentence. The Son of God. So this is how the book opens. And, and then when you go to verse 9, uh, Jesus' Jesus's baptism. At that time, Jesus came from Galilee in, in, in or I'm sorry, came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and their spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. So at his baptism, not only does Mark declare in the first verse that he is the Son of God, Jesus is the Son of God, but at his baptism, God actually spoke from heaven and declared... You are my son. Now, let me show you another one. Uh, chapter 1, go to verse 22. Well, let's go to verse 21. They came, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum. Now you know what it looks like. You've seen the picture. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. And what does he say? The Holy One of God. Even the demons are declaring that he is the Holy One of God, that he is the Holy Son of God. And so what we see throughout the book of Mark, and those are just a few references in the very first chapter, what we see throughout the book of Mark is this emphasis that Jesus is presented as the undeniable Son of God. Jesus was God in flesh. And he demonstrated this truth, watch this, by forgiving sins. He demonstrated his truth by controlling the forces of nature, speaking to the storm and the water, and it was calm. He demonstrated by overcoming disease, overcoming demons, overcoming death. Again and again and again, he demonstrated he was not just a great teacher. Again and again and again, he had demonstrated he was, in fact, the Son of God. God in flesh. Look in chapter 1, verse 29. 
As soon as they, I read that a moment ago, but let's read it again. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went, to, went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because, because what? They knew who he was. They knew he was the Son of God. Uh, let, let me give you one more reference, one more example. Go run over to chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. Mark chapter 9. This is the transfiguration. Start in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them to a high mountain. We looked at that on the map, probably Mount Hermon, and where they were alone. And there he was transfigured before them, changed. He pulled back the curtain a little bit and let them see a little bit of his divine nature, basically, is what was happening. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them, Elijah and Moses, who was talking with Jesus. And Peter said to, to Jesus, Rab <laughs> I, I love this, I was reading this yesterday, and I thought, Peter just had to say something, didn't he? He's just one of those, he's just got to say something. And, and so, here, here's, <laughs> Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for, for Elijah. Now look at verse 6, this is what made me chuckle. He did not know what to say, they were so frightened. But he had to say something. He didn't know what to say. But he had, it's just Peter's nature. He's just got to say something. All right. Verse 7. Then, watch this. This is the point I was getting to. Verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Does that sound familiar? Have we heard a voice from the cloud already in the book of Mark? Yeah, at his baptism. Now at the transfiguration, we see it again. This is my son. And then he says, listen to him. I've got some things to tell you that will change your world and change your life. So, one of the things I want you to look for as you're reading through the book of Mark is this emphasis that Jesus Christ is the undeniable Son of God. Here's the second thing to be looking for as you read through the book of Mark. Jesus is presented to the world as a suffering Savior. Write that on your notes. He's presented to the world as a suffering Savior. Now, if you just look at those first two points, it almost sounds contradictory, doesn't it? Unless you really know the gospel, doesn't it sound almost contradictory? The Son of God. And then the next thing we're talking about is a suffering Savior. We don't expect the Son of God to be the suffering Savior. And that was the problem that the disciples and many people in the days of Jesus had. They did not expect the Son of God. They did not expect the Messiah to be the suffering Savior. But that's exactly what God prophesied in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, he prophesied that there would be one sent who would be the suffering Savior. And Jesus lived that out. You see, the people were expecting a conquering Messiah. They were expecting somebody to come and conquer Rome. And free them from the oppression of Rome. And these Jewish people were anticipating, this is our homeland. This is the promised land, Genesis. This is the land God has given us. But the Romans have come in and they're occupying our land. The Romans have come in and they're taking over. The Romans are coming in and they're oppressing us. And we need a Messiah. And as they read their Old Testament, they kept thinking, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. But the Messiah they were looking for... Messiah they were looking for was a general, a leader who would free them from Roman oppression. That was the way they were interpreting the Old Testament. We need a conquering king. And so, 
when Mark writes his gospel, again, probably the first gospel to be written, Mark is emphasizing the Messiah did come, but he did not come as a conquering king. The Messiah came as a suffering Savior. Look in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and watch this, and to give His life as a ransom for many. You may want to write this down. I don't think it's on your notes. I don't have it in front of me. But Mark writes more about what Jesus suffered and His death than any other gospel. When you look at the entire book of Mark, he writes more about the suffering of Jesus. He writes more about the death of Jesus than any other gospel. Mark writes about Jesus and what he endured. That he, he came and he was healing people and he was meeting their needs. And he was telling them, them about God. He was being a servant to those who were in need. But ultimately his greatest act of service was that he gave his life as a ransom for many. So as you're reading this, I want you to be reading, as you're reading the book of Mark, be looking for this concept of the suffering servant, the suffering Savior. Now there's a third thing to be looking for, and this is one that just intrigues me to no end. And that is, as you're reading through the book of Mark, look for the messianic secret. The messianic secret. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus repeatedly told people not to reveal who he was. That's what I mean by messianic secret. He, he repeatedly asked people, instructed people not to reveal his identity. Apparently, the reason for that was because there was such a fervor for this Messiah, King. There was such a fervor for this leader to come and take over and, and abolish the Roman oppor, uh, oppression, that, that he was constantly telling people, now don't let anybody know who I am. And again, that's not the way we would do it, right? That's not what we would anticipate. The Son of God has come into the world, but he's telling people, shh, tell anybody. Why would he do that? It's because there was such a growing desire for this Messiah, this conqueror, this king. In fact, it says in one place in one of the Gospels that they came to take him by force to make him their king. The Jews were, were, were so impressed with who he was that they perhaps were trying to lead him away from the cross. He was so laser-focused on the cross. He was so laser-focused on why He came. He did not want to be distracted from that assignment. So He tells people not to tell anybody who He is so that it would allow Him the time He needed to complete His ministry. Uh, let, let me show you this in Scripture. I think it will make sense if we just read a lot of Scripture. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. Mark chapter 1. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum and when the synagogue, I'm sorry, when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then a man in, the, in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently, and came out of him. Here's Jesus instructing the spirits to be quiet and not to reveal his identity. Look in verse 34. Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So he's exercising his authority over the demons, and he wouldn't let the demons reveal his identity. Because they knew who he was. Chapter 1, look at verse 40. A man with leprosy came and uh, came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. 
Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell, <laughs> see that you don't tell this to anyone. But go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, verse 45, he went out and began to talk to everybody. Shorter's translation. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, watch this, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Are you beginning to see why there's this messianic secret? The crowds were growing so large. The crowds were being so demanding. The crowds had an idea of their own idea, their own interpretation of who he was and why he came and what he could do. And it was getting in the way of the cross. It's, it's all through the book. Look in chapter 3. Chapter 3. Verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. There's another reference, one of the many references, where he, he loved to go to the lake. He withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. And when they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan, around Tyre and Sidon. We know where those locations are now. We've looked at our map. So they're coming from many, many, many miles away because they've heard about Jesus. That's how popular he has become. Verse 9, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward towards him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Fascinating. That the demons are trying to declare who he is. And he's telling them to be quiet and to shut up. I, I, I don't want to take too much time with this, but let's look at a couple of more. Chapter 5, verse 21. Chapter 5, verse 21. This is when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Uh, let's, for sake of time, skip down to verse 40. After, well, verse 39, he went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in to where the child was. And he took her by the hand and he said, Talithakum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around and she was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now wait a minute. This little girl has died. He raises her from the dead. And then he gives strict orders. Don't tell anybody. Huh? Do, do what? One more. And then we'll move on. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon and down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. And there were there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged him to place his hand on the man. And after he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he, he spit and touched the man's tongue. And he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephathoth, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. 
But watch this. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is so interesting. Um, this idea of the messianic secret and the one, the, there's one, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's one exception to this whole rule and it's in chapter 5. In chapter 5, and it's, it's, it's interesting why, we're, we're not exactly sure why this happened the way it did, but in chapter 5, this is the healing of the demon-possessed man in the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, you, you've got your, your map, you can look on the map or look up here. See this area right here? Ger this is the region of the Gerasenes. It's on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was in this area in chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is what, church? You know, in that day, a Roman legion consisted of three to 6,000 soldiers. And so when the man said, my name, or when the demon said, my name is Legion, it was an indication that this man was probably inhabited by thousands of demons. It's also indicated in the fact that when Jesus cast out these demons, there were thousands of pigs that were slaughtered. Look at the text. My name, verse 9, My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. Could you imagine walking up on the edge of the Sea of Galilee and see 2,000 pigs floating in the Sea of Galilee? When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were what? You would be too. If you saw, if you had any reference at all to who this man was and how this man lived and what this man had gone through, and you saw 2,000 pigs floating in the Sea of Galilee, and you saw this man in his right mind, and you recognize it was because of Jesus, you would have been terrified. So would I. Verse 16. Those who had been... Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Well, what a story that must have been. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Wow. To leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him go. He said, go home and don't tell anybody. No. Here's the exception. Here's the one exception. Jesus said, go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis. Look here. He didn't just say it at his house. He went all over that area. 
telling people. Look what it says. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, we could get into this whole discussion about why was this the one exception where Jesus said, go and tell them what I've done to you. One of the possibilities might be because this was Gentile territory. This was not Jewish territory. This was pagan territory. And Jesus was cons- wanted the gospel to go into the pagan Gentile territory. He wasn't concerned about these people grabbing him and trying to make him Messiah because this was Gentile pagan territory. That's, that's one possibility. There's some other things we could discuss there. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to understand that throughout the Gospel of Mark, and this story is just one perfect illustration, throughout the Gospel of Mark, there's this supernatural struggle between Jesus and Satan. There's this struggle between the power of Jesus and the power of the demons. You read a lot about demons in the Gospel of Mark. Because the goal is to show that Jesus can give us freedom from sin and from Satan. And this is a beautiful story of how Jesus frees us from the power of sin and the power of Satan. And that which has controlled us doesn't have to control us anymore because Jesus is victorious and powerful over anything and everything. Even a man who has a legion of demons. Jesus is more powerful than that. So Mark is telling us the story of Jesus, and he's explaining. I want to tell you something. This is the Son of God. Nobody else has this kind of power. This is the Son of God who conquers Satan and sets us free from our oppression. That brings us to this last point as you're reading through the Gospel of Mark. The fourth thing I would ask you to look for is this. The disciples struggled to understand Jesus' true identity. It's so interesting that though Mark writes this story and explains in great detail who Jesus is, he also, he also throughout this book tells us again and again the disciples had a problem with this. They had a problem grasping it all. They had a problem understanding the true identity of Jesus. It really is interesting. Um, Several things they did not understand. They, they didn't understand what he said sometimes. They didn't understand his teaching, his parables. Look in chapter 4, verse 13. <clears throat> chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 is the parable of the sower. You and I know that, that parable. We've read that parable, but the disciples were hearing it for the first time. Verse 10 when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables, and he told them, and so he explains the parable. Then in verse 13, then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Jesus said, Listen, guys, if you don't get this one, you're going to have a hard time with all of them. But, but they had a problem understanding sometimes what he was saying. Look in chapter 4, verse 33. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. Because sometimes they didn't get it. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. He had to keep explaining it over and over and over. Not only did they not understand his parables, they didn't understand his miracles sometimes. Look in chapter 4, verse 40. This is the famous story in verse 35 and following about Jesus calming the storm. We don't have the time to read all of that, but you know that he he said in verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He, He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Are you still having problems understanding? Are you still having problems believing? Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who, who is this? Look in chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. I, 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 
as I've been reading through Mark, I just have to chuckle every once in a while. And this is one of the passages that makes me chuckle. Mark chapter 8. In chapter 8, Jesus fed the 4,000. Now, don't get that confused with the feeding of the 5,000. This was a totally separate incident. The feeding of the 4,000, tell me, did it happen before or after the feeding of the 5,000? After. Had the feeding of the 5,000? Do you think, if you saw that, if you saw the feeding of the 5,000, do you think that you would remember that? Do you think, it's like, man, that's a spiritual lesson I'll never forget. So we had the feeding of the 5,000, and then later there was the feeding of the 4,000. Let's read about it. Um, During those days, another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called the disciples to him. Uh, I have compassion for these people. Uh, They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciple answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Come on, guys. Don't you remember? So he asked in verse 5, How many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied. If that had been me, I would say, only need five. <laughs> he told the crowd, sit, <laughs> sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves, he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he fed all of the people. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to shorten it here. Um, verse 13, then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. This is the part that makes me chuckle. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Jesus is talking to them about something totally different. He's talking about the, the, not physical yeast, but the yeast of the Pharisees. And they're so dull that they said, He knows that we only brought one loaf of bread. That's what he's talking about. (laughs) Verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do, Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves with 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basket of pieces did you pick up? They said seven. He said, do you still not understand? Come on, guys, do you still not get it? There's hope for us, isn't there? <laughs> Look in chapter 9. Chapter 9, uh, verse 9. This is after, after the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John coming down the mountain with Jesus. As they were coming out. Now, this is Peter, James, and John. These are the three big ones, right? These are the three top dogs. These are the three leaders of the group. These are the guys who ought to have their act together. As they were coming down the mountain, verse 9, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until, here again, that kind of messianic secret. Guys, you've seen something special up here. Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. What do you think he meant by that? Rising from from the dead. Here's the reason I use that scripture. Three times. Well, we're going to have to read quick. Three times, three times, Jesus predicted his death. Three times he explained to them what was going to happen. They just couldn't grasp it. We're going to run out of time, so let me just read the text and you just follow quickly. Chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
Peter's, again, Peter's got to say something, and usually it's the wrong thing. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them for the second time, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. Verse 32. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. (laughs) You ask him. No, I'm not going to ask him. (laughs) Peter, you ask him. No, I got chewed out last time. You ask him. Chapter 10, verse 33. Chapter 10, verse 33. Well, let's start at verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while, they, while those who followed were afraid. Again, for the third time, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going to go up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed and the chief priests and teachers of the law and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and three days later he will rise. Then, verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he said. Let one of us sit on your right hand, the other on your left in your glory. The three, three times he's telling them about his death, burial, resurrection. And all, you would think by the third time they'd be saying, Oh, okay, I get it. Oh, oh my goodness, that's awful. No. Peter and John say, Hey, 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 we heard you. <laughs> we heard you say something about thrones. Could, could we have one of those? Could we sit on your right and on your left? They, they just don't get it. They're, they're just like us. But don't miss the most important thing. He deliberately went to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen to him. From the early days in Galilee, he was walking towards the cross. And when the crowds were gathering and they wanted to make him king, he kept pushing them aside and saying, don't tell anybody. He was walking resolutely toward the cross for you and for me. Three times he had to remind them, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be spit upon, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise again. He knew what faced him. And he went there willingly and lovingly. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you went to the cross on my behalf, on our behalf, willingly, lovingly, graciously, deliberately to give your life a ransom for many. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.